Today, I am talking to my comprehensive coaching collaborator, Dr. Gabrielle Fundaro, who you are actually the first female guest that I've had on this podcast. So I hope you are honored. <laughs> I am always honored. <laughs> great, great. We thought it would be a good time of year to reflect and then think about the future as you do, you know, at the start of a new year. And we wanted to discuss what we had planned for comprehensive coaching, you know, what we are trying to achieve here and how it is that it's come about. So, Gabrielle, thoughts on last year? That was a wild ride. <laughs> like, we did not anticipate any of that uh, evolving the way it did. It was really just, let's write this blog post together and then, um, oh, it seems like we should write another blog post. And then this is too much. I guess we're going to have to do a four-part series. And I think we really made the webinar series because people asked for it. <laughs> you know, in the same way, like, like the Facebook community. It was just something that people requested. And, um, you know, it took us a while to, to get it all together because we had so much going on. Um, but it really seemed to take off. And I think people had uh, finally had found a sense of belonging um, in, in not belonging, you know, to, to, to kind of either of the two major factions in the industry, you know, of being anti-diet or, or, you know, diet friendly. Um, so yeah, it was really incredible to see it come about in the way that it did. And it was just really fun and enjoyable. And um, you know, such an honor too. And I was so grateful that we had so many people inviting us on the podcast to talk about it, because that was really the best way to kind of, um, you know, share our message and, and I think really clarify uh, a lot of what we were about, because I think there were some misconceptions um, and there might still be, you know, I, I think that there are people who might be a little bit confused about like exactly where, where we stand. <laughs> and so um, yesterday, I, as, I was re as I was posting something to my story, about our approach um, and thinking about like, how do I want to state, you know, which side I'm on? And I was like, I'm on the client's side. You know, that's what, that's what we're here for, to help our clients. Yeah, that's the thing. And I feel the same way. Like I've definitely gained a lot of clarity since talking about these things more because you just start off with, I see a problem and I want to help. And I'm kind of confused about what's going on. That's your starting point. And then as you begin to talk about it and formulate your ideas and synthesize your ideas, you do gain a lot more clarity on your position. And as you say, we're not, nobody is taking a side here. It's just what does the client want and what's actually helpful for them. And in thinking about, I think, the way that we conduct ourselves and the things that we talk about, it you really do have to think, you know, when you, you're putting out a post, like what, what are the implications of this post and how might it be interpreted and trying to avoid any dogmatism, but also guilt and shame. And you're also addressing a wide variety of people that like there's so much to consider. And I think our ultimate aim with comprehensive coaching is to, to help people identify exactly what it is that they need and then what it is that's going to help them with their particular goals and whether or not those goals are changing over time. And because things do change, I think that's probably one of the only constants in life, right? That change is a constant. And, and that's kind of where we've been going with this as well. And thinking about how, you know, we've had to update the model. And even now, there's so many things that I would like to continue exploring, especially for me personally, in regards to like flourishing health, like really 
really, really getting to the grips of what I think that means. I've got an idea, I've written an article on it, but just really going deep into all these different aspects of health. And that's what we really wanna promote at the end of the day, just helping people to achieve that, whatever that looks like for them. So we've kind of been just poosing along, as I like to say, (laughs) and figuring things out as we go. But we have tried to put together a bit of a plan for the year ahead. (laughs) Who knows what will actually happen? Would you like to tentatively speak about our potential ideas? Yes, yes. Um, So so I I hope that folks will uh, give us (laughs) room for, for iteration and flexibility as we're navigating this because things always take so much longer than anticipated. I think last year we we thought we were going to get the webinar series done like within a couple Ooh, of months. Wasn't it? <laughs> a month later, it was, oh man, it took so much longer than anticipated. Um, but I was I was so glad that we gave ourselves more time. You know, I think that's one thing I've noticed in myself is that I often feel a sense of urgency and I'm rushed and I and I want to do all of the things right now. Um, and you know, just like with any um, endeavor, you know, you can lose the the joy of the process if you're totally focused on the outcome. Um, so our tentative plan so far this year is kind of kind of kicked it off already with um, starting up a new bridging the gap series, and this is getting at sort of the cultural and historical perspectives of the um, culture of dieting. And I want to credit uh, Eric Helms for that because I think that it is a more neutral, maybe less charged way of talking about um, intentional weight loss through uh, you know, nutrition and physical activity modification. Um, so I, I just was, you know, I, I got this book, um, Modern Food, Moral Food, last year, and I'm not usually a history buff, but I found it really intriguing because it was about the intersections of um, progressive ideals around self-control and uh, food conservation efforts during World War One and uh, n- uh, developments in nutritional science that both informed people about the fact that like calories and macronutrients existed, they were a thing that you could quantify and also fueled a lot of beliefs about sort of um, the relationship between body size and character, you know, or, or these perceived beliefs that that one's ability to control their body weight was a manifestation of their strong uh, self-control and willpower. So that's something that has lived on, you know, it's hundred years later and we're still, we still have those beliefs, which was a big shift from um, the, the perspective of larger bodies, you know, before 1900. And um, the reason that I got into this was I was really interested in kind of looking at the cultures and like subcultures within the industry. You know, where do these beliefs come from? Like, why are we so focused on self-control all the time? And, um, you know, why do we have these beliefs about body size indicating someone's character? Uh, So I went down that rabbit hole and I've gone into looking at like, um, kind of just the the history of of healthism. Um, That's something that I think it's it's a name given to, to a phenomenon that has already existed for a long time. So it's not like we're like making things up. We're just sort of saying, hey, here's a pattern of, of behavior. Uh, here here's a demographic, and it seems to you know follow um, this specific pattern. And then um, 
so that was the second article, and that's going to segue into talking about sort of the history of the uh, anti-diet movement and looking at aspects such as health at every size and body positivity and fat acceptance. Um, and then taking it forward from depression era dieting, which yes, was really a thing, even though that sounds really surprising, uh, all the way up to sort of like the modern uh, food behaviors and kind of taking that kind of socio-cultural look at the industry. Because I think it's important that we keep our history in mind because that allows us to really identify our, our biases, you know, and some of the rhetoric and some of the dogma in the industry, we understand where it comes from and then we can evaluate how useful it is and how accurate it is um, and how helpful it is. Um, so after, uh, and along with these, we have uh, you know some other articles that are gonna be kind of standalone, including a call to, to action to potentially have more productive conversations if we can move from a place of trying to prove our side right <laughs> and maybe try to understand where the other side is coming from and see if we can find a middle ground uh, and some webinar series as well. So we are going to have another iteration of the Bridging the Gap webinar series where we talk about um, the origins, the foundations, principles, um, and practice of the comprehensive coaching framework. Uh, we'll be explaining how we've updated the framework. Finally, months later, we're going to be <laughs> putting out an article that actually dives into the changes. Um, I think that one of the, one of, one of the advantages uh, of our approach is that we are open to changing things. You know, we're not like married to any one way of doing things. And when someone with more expertise than us comes in and says, hey, I think there's a way that you could make this um, better, then we say, yeah, tell us, we wanna do that thing. Um, and then uh, there are going to be a couple other uh, webinar series coming up. You want to take the, the reins on that one and speak to our next two after the uh, redo, the second iteration of Bridging the Gap? Yeah, yeah. We want to talk more about the intentional eating spectrum as well, because I guess that really is the core of the comprehensive you know, approach in practice, knowing that I think at this stage, most people are agnostic in their nutrition approach in terms of the foods that they're eating, but not necessarily mm -hmm. the coaching approach in terms of what mm -hmm. intervention am I using? And mm -hmm. that I think really does matter because as we've touched on numbers number of times that we all have our preferred way of doing things and we all have our biases and we know what we like to do or what's worked with us or even what's worked with clients in the past, but mm -hmm. we can't be using that as our our guiding principle on what to do you know with a client we actually need to be able to really identify what our clients need and really relate to them more so we'd like to delve a little bit deeper into the intentional eating spectrum but also i think we'll go alongside or be part of that webinar how to collaborate with your client because they're the ones determining their approach with your expertise and your guidance but ultimately it comes down to that they know what they're comfortable with and I think that's something that's worth addressing as well because I've had a number of questions you know how do I help someone move away from tracking macros how do I get someone to do this you know mm -hmm. to stop thinking about this or not worry about this and we can't do any of that we can't we can have our, our intentions, but we can't force people to do things that they're not ready for. So I think really getting to grips with understanding what someone's comfortable with and being able, if you 
if you have an idea in mind where you think that you know macro tracking is probably a problem for this person there's a reason that you think that so you can help illuminate that to the client and see what they think about that situation you know so i think those, those are all sorts of things that we'll be covering um, in that webinar series and we also want to do one aimed at clients as well to help people change from the inside out which will include you know your thoughts regarding your relationship with food your relationship with your body and I think um, I'm really looking forward to that one as well in particular because I think that's really getting again to the core of what we want to do is to help people really achieve that that relationship and something that um, I had a, a consultation recently actually and the reason that the the client reached out to me was because she said that she'd never heard someone say that you know you can work on your physique and work on your attitude you know at the same time you don't have to, to choose i mean there may be a progression involved and we'll be focusing on different things at different points in time but it's not either or and i think that's something that is really important to understand because part of the issue with being on either side is that people don't want to hear that weight loss isn't good for you or you should do this or you must do this because everyone has their own idea about where they are and if someone at this point in time really thinks that weight loss is what's going to you know help that's what they need to do they need help but they need someone who can meet them where they're at and I think um you know our change from the inside out series will really help people to gain a bit of clarity on what it is that they want and how they might go about achieving that so i'm really looking forward to to putting those out as well yeah absolutely because you know i think that even with you know in our attempts to help people sometimes we can help people in a pushing or a pulling way rather than a guiding way so, you know, when we identify that a pattern of behavior or thought um, seems to be troublesome for a person, that's only half of the equation, you know, and we can't try to convince them of it because they have, you know, they might be cognizant of that, but they also have attached a great deal of, of importance to that pattern and to the outcome that we're hoping for. So I think you're you're so right that there is sort of this um, there there's a there are a group of clients I think that feel a little bit lost maybe or ignored or neglected that you know they they might not be ready to take a full um, you know weight neutral approach um, but at the same time they don't necessarily want to be totally weight focused so they want to move away from that. Um, and, you know, certainly, you know, the part of the process of intuitive eating is one option of a weight neutral approach is processing all of that it is, you know, working through the diet mentality. Um, but that, that one approach is not going to be a one size fits all, and it's not necessarily appropriate for, for everyone. It's not going to be the best fit for everyone. Um, and is not, it's not even a goal, you know, it's a practice. So I think even, you know, as we're going through the, the webinar on the intentional eating spectrum, you know, talking about the nuances and, and seeing like, here are the pros and cons of these various approaches. And can we potentially say, hey, there, you know, we could make a, you know, there's, there's a hybrid too, you know, can we take the most beneficial aspects for this client, see what they're comfortable with, meet them where they are. And like you said, you know, the, the process of, um, changing one's relationship with a food, with food uh, or body 
could certainly uh, still include, you know, that they are um, in, interested in changing their body. So it's when we have these absolutist statements of, oh, you can't do these two things at the same time. I think that that really does a disservice to the, you know, the clients in, in, in terms of you know, them feeling maybe discouraged. Um, and then to us as well, like, are we closing our minds to, the, to, the, to these options? What if we explored that? Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that you know, people kind of come away with more yeah, clarity and insight and um, maybe like open minds about you know, what things could work. Um, and then also just, I think, you know, clearing up a lot of the misconceptions. And the, the other big thing that I think is important is that the intentionality part behind any approach. Um, I was just talking to a client today who mentioned that they were doing um, a journaling activity and noticed that their intentions behind the journaling activity had changed when they were feeling like they were um, having a, you know, a, a stressful time. And so even though the activity itself hadn't changed, the way that it made them feel changed because instead of it being a reflective and compassionate exercise, it became one that was an exercise of surveillance and control. So, you know, whatever approach we take, we have to figure out like, why are we doing it? Why are we doing it that way? Um, you know, and so that's why we're talking about the intersection of the client's experiences, goals, and preferences, you know, really taking a look at the experiences, like how has this worked for you in the past? Um, and, and, and why did it work for you in that way? You know, did it work because it was really controlled and rigid and for a time it led to whatever outcome, but it wasn't sustainable? That might not be, you know, even though it worked, you know, the intentions behind it might have indicated that it's not really a sustainable approach. That's exactly it. And I think that's something that we would like to continue to explore because you often hear absolutist statements like diets don't work or even on the other side, exercise improves body image. Well, we're talking about the behaviors here. We're not talking about the intentions behind them, which actually is the most important thing. You know, something like exercise improves body image isn't actually necessarily true. It's that statement's missing a lot of nuance, you know. People like to claim that it leads to body like appreciation or functionality, but it's, that's not necessarily true in all cases. What about someone who is compulsive exercising or compensating for something that they've eaten or even going into, um, there's a lot of research on yoga interventions and it comes mm -hmm. down to, you know, the, the benefits that people see depends on the way that their attitudes towards, you know, yoga or whether they're comparing themselves to other people in the room. So if yeah. we really want to get to the root of someone's attitude towards changing something or towards what they're engaging in. Also, I find that some people tend to do things a little bit mindlessly in that we don't necessarily always consider why the why behind what we're doing it's just like oh I have this idea that I need to have this optimal diet and it looks like this so let me just go ahead and do it I had a conversation with a client recently who spoke about increasing her protein intake and felt pressure to do that and was putting a lot of or was feeling a lot of I guess um 
discordance there with the, the want to increase her protein intake, but then not really putting it into practice, even though she knows how to do it. And she got mm. to the, the root of it going, I don't need to eat two grams of protein per kilo of body weight. Like where, you know, this is just a general rule of thumb for someone who maybe wants to optimize muscle. That's not even my goal. But she had that idea in mind because, you know, it's just so common. Um, mm. So I think it's really interesting to see how someone's attitude towards something can change the the impact and that it has on you know what it is that they're doing and I think that this is why something like the values work is really so useful because values are so flexible in that if you're what it is that you're doing is no longer aligned with your values then that's a really good reference point to have you know what what is what benefit am I getting out of this? Has something changed? Again, change is the only constant. We can change our minds about what goals we're pursuing. Um, so yeah, really addressing the intentional side of things, the, the attitudes that we have, what we want to get out of it, I think is super important, especially when it comes to you know eating pathologies and attitudes towards ourselves. Why are we doing what we're doing? And this is something we've been asking ourselves as coaches as well. Why am I, you know, putting out this article? Why am I putting out this post on Instagram? What do I want to achieve with this? And how might someone interpret this? What do I want someone, you know, to go away with thinking? And I think that's a lot. I mean, we've thought about that a lot with the, the comprehensive coaching approach in general. If you could define our purpose in a, in a short <laughs> um, little segment, what would you say? What, what's the point of comprehensive coaching? <laughs> I'm sure there are probably people out there wondering the same thing. Like, what the hell, what the hell are you two doing? Why do you think yours is the best? And um, and we don't. Um, so yeah, I think like at the core, like when we started the Bridging the Gap series, it was to create shared meaning and understanding to improve dialogue in the industry. So it was about enhancing clarity and bringing context and nuance to contentious topics to hopefully um, leave everyone feeling acknowledged and heard and validated and bringing um, a, a hopefully as, as unbiased and a, a objective amount of information as possible um, to allow people to make decisions that are informed. And as that emerged into a coaching approach, it really was to increase a client's capacity to live their ideal life. Um, so, I mean, and this is, you know, when we get to, you know, the, so the very basic definition of flourishing health is, you know, prosperity across all domains of life. And um, when, when and, and so, it, and like recently on Instagram, you know, because of the Cosmopolitan article, a magazine that came out with, you know, representing um, a variety of bodies, body types and body sizes, a lot of people have now been questioning like, well, what is health? What is healthy? And there's not really an agreed upon definition of health. I mean, it's not just the absence of, of disease. Um, but in, you know, but, but Crawford, when he wrote about healthism, when he kind of, you know, conceptualized it um, back in the 80s, he and other authors too have, have indicated that maybe some of these definitions of health are a little bit unrealistic. 
you know, is it possible to, to prosper in all domains of life? Like, is it, you know, is it, um, can, can we look at our practitioners to help us achieve overall well-being? And like, what does that mean? And what does it look like? Um, and so the closest thing that I could think of in, in defining health was basically the mental, physical, and emotional capacity to um, adapt and respond to challenges in order to live one's um, realistic ideal. Yeah. You know, so like, yeah, it can look however you want. And that means that a person who is not free of disease, because most people are not free of disease, um, you know, isn't going to be precluded from this idealistic version of health. You know, because if we want to make it that perfectionist, well, we better lump a bunch of people in regardless of body size, you know? Uh, it's just that that is a, what people have deemed to be sort of a visual representation of health. Um, so that's kind of my super long drawn out answer, but it's, you know, it's to help people decide what they want and then help them get there. And, and usually I do that by just asking like, what does your ideal day look like? And how is it different from the day that you have right now? And how can we help you get to that day um, within the scope of practice of what we do? Yeah, that's exactly it. I'm glad you touched on the point that often our idea of health is an ideal. It's not necessarily something that's realistic and doesn't have to be like you don't have to be functionally uh, like um, functioning optimally in all domains of life to be healthy. That's a, a point that I was actually writing about the other day and something I want to make clearer is for my understanding of flourishing health, it's more so something to move towards. It's not necessarily something that you have to maintain at all times. And it's likely that you won't, but I think it's a good reference point to have as to what you know health could be. And, oh, okay, I've been lacking in this one thing. I've been overworking and not seeing my friends enough or whatever it is. Like, it's just a nice way of orienting yourself so that you know when something has fallen, you know, you've fallen short in, in one domain. So I think that's a really nice way of putting it. But I, I wonder where this like pressure comes from. And that's something that I wanted to ask you actually when talking about healthism and the origins of diet culture, what do you think is perpetuating that notion now? Hmm. Well, I think, you know, to some extent it is, it's probably a, a synthesis of events. I mean, for one thing, um, when the, I mean, it's, it's the intersection of sort of our healthcare system um, and theoretically sort of maybe consumerism and, and capitalism to some extent, but at sort of an individual level, I think that it is, uh, it, it occurs uh, in people who are accessing information on the internet which is more available to us now than ever before. And so um, it brings them into contact with so much more information about their health and the new ways to optimize their health and more capacity for um, health to be optimized or go or, or be lost, you know? So to give an example, um, that's probably more workable. When we look at gut health, right? Gut health has, is, a, is an area that's emerged maybe in the last like five years as, I mean, it's, it's so 
huge right now. It's like a booming industry, super hot topic. Um, and it's a really great example of healthism. So healthism is really a, the moralization of the pursuit of health. It's not just about being interested in being healthy. It is the expectation that people have a moral obligation to pursue a socially constructed idea of perfect health. That everyone is potentially sick and that um, they need to reduce their risk of becoming ill uh, as a functional member of society. So this is a this is being a good citizen is reducing your risk of becoming ill. There are some specific demographic uh, characteristics of people who are healthist, if you want to call it that. They um, often have a distrust of conventional medicine. There's some fear about chemicals about um, like topic invaders, food additives, um, vaccines. They are often using alternative uh, medicine options and supplements and holistic health. Um, so that is something I've seen so much in worried about the idea of bad gut health, even though that's not something that really exists, but it's an area in which because we have these uh, amorphous definitions of like what's good gut health and what's bad gut health. So manufacturers and marketers can sell these sort of um, the, these, uh, in, in, these invisible problems and threats and people can then pursue optimal gut health, even though that's not something that is even a clear definition. Um, and, and so because it's like sort of this invisible threat and it's a thing that people can use the word like toxin and food additives and whatnot can create a threat to this one area of health. And so people feel then compelled to uh, improve it in some way. And so they buy all of the supplements and do the detoxes and things like that. Um, and search on the internet for more information. You know, you don't necessarily go to a conventional medicine practitioner like a gastroenterologist. You know, they look on Google and they see like, what can I do with apple cider vinegar? Um, so that's just one aspect. But I think that that's like one manifestation of how healthism can, can look. Um, but like on the big picture, what Crawford posited was that healthism is serves as it, it, it creates um, or it places individual responsibility as a surrogate for uh, institutional change. So rather than, than updating a healthcare system that is not really serving the population, they quantify risk factors and so they can stratify individuals by their potential sickness and then say it's their responsibility. And where I see this really coming into play too is you know, this clash between the weight neutral and like health at every size approach versus the people who are focused on intentional weight loss. Health at every size doesn't posit that every weight is healthy or unhealthy. They just say we can't determine a person's health by looking at them. We can't determine that from, from the outside. And they also are advocating for shared responsibility for the pursuit of well-being. That if a person is in a very large body that uh, for which you know a lot of things are not built, like the built environment uh, and clothing 
uh, are not readily accessible to that person. They have additional obstacles if they want to pursue well-being. So part of the Hayes movement is about increasing access to the resources and then also in, you know, access to information so that when people want to pursue health-seeking behaviors, they can do that. But people, I think, in, in normative bodies don't see those additional obstacles. They, they view it as, oh, just a choice or it's just a lack of willpower. Um, and they think that the Hayes movement and that weight neutral approaches are telling people not to lose weight or telling them, you know, that they're healthy at every size. And that's just not accurate. So we can, these, these can exist in tandem. You know, we can say, hey, I see that there are obstacles to folks that want to pursue health seeking behaviors. We can address that and we can still um, encourage the healthy level of self-responsibility that is associated with increased self-efficacy. When people know that they can change their health, when people know that they can improve their quality of life by engaging in these behaviors, that's awesome. But we don't do anyone any anyone favors by saying um, you know, that all, all weight loss is harmful or that all weight loss is beneficial. Those are not, those are not accurate statements. So I think that that's another place where healthism is sort of manifesting is that healthism assumes that the individual is solely responsible. So all the solutions and all the problems lie within that individual and they're expected to just overcome all of the obstacles and pursue the same type of health. Like there's kind of like a socially agreed upon, you can see it on Instagram, people are like, what's health? Oh, it's a specific, you know, healthy, you know, all your biomarkers and a specific level of body fat and whatnot. So um, those are sort of the ways that healthism manifests and um, probably the internet makes it worse. <laughs> the internet does a lot of bad things. <laughs> I think uh, that's another gap that I would love to bridge at some point this year is the, the one between individual empowerment and collective mm. responsibility because mm. it's, a, it's a really difficult line to kind of tread because you don't want to make people feel powerless by highlighting say the impact that the environment has on our behaviors but that is a fact and it is something that makes change more difficult mm -hmm. and we can take collective responsibility for that for example looking at food advertisements especially to the younger generation you know that's something that should be or it has been changed i believe in the uk now they've put some new laws in place about that so there are definitely actions that we can take as a community on a collective level, but at the same time, we do want to empower individuals who do want to change, not force people into doing anything they don't want to do, but to give people the tools, the information, the access to those things so that they do feel like they can achieve, you know, what it is that they want to achieve. And I think that, yeah, it can, it's so difficult because I know that, for example, you know, speaking of like free will, um, when people find out that some of their actions or they don't have as much control over their actions as they would like, I think we see a decrease in pro-social behavior and people are more likely to steal, for example, because it's like, well, I'm not in control of my actions. So, you know, if you think about that in terms of weight loss, people just feel powerless and that's not a good mm -hmm. position to be in. So how do we get around that, but also assume collective responsibility? And I think that really comes down to what we're 
trying to, to do with comprehensive coaching as well is that we want to see that shift in the industry where we do start to consider more so how we conduct ourselves and the implications that may have. For example, what is the impact of fitspiration photos on body image? You know, what does that mean for the photos that I put up? Am I helping people by showing off parts of my body or not? Like that I'm not too sure on the research that what the actual implications are, but it's something that's worth looking into and something that I would like to know. And, you know, how are we making people feel with our posts? Are they feeling like they can talk about the things that are difficult to them? Or do they feel guilt and shame about the things that they struggle with? You know, and I think really that, is going to tie into our um, article on communication as well and just creating that space and that's kind of why we have the community you know people do want to make a change but i think we sometimes we don't quite realize the impact that our actions can have on other people think about the number of people that might view your page and never say anything and you know you don't know who's who's out there looking at what it is that you have to say and when you think that society is something that we kind of construct we can make a more positive one you know from the fitness industry itself which can often be so so hard for someone to break into you know fitness is kind of a privilege and it seems unattainable to a lot of people which is something that Hayes speaks to a lot it shouldn't be that way you know, yeah. so I think um, once we're, we've spoken a lot about working with individuals and working with clients and the change that we'd like to see. But I also think that we're very much thinking about how we can change the community, too. And that's something that we we, we want to see more of this year, I think. Yeah, absolutely. It's been um, really fun to see like our Facebook you know, the comprehensive coaching community, we were close to 30 people now, which is really exciting. Um, and, you know, we just started it in like, uh, 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 I don't know, October. No, it wasn't even, was it? Yeah, it was like end of October, I think. So, um, you know, that's been really kind of just interesting organic growth, which is really what we're hoping for. You know, we, we know that um, the messy middle is a tough place to be. And even, I mean, a lot of coaches are still kind of navigating, like, how am I, you know, how do I coach in this place? How do I market? Like, what am I actually helping people with now? Because we have shifted so much and so quickly from, the, you know, oh, online coaching macros, helping people with meal plans and weight loss and getting shredded. And now um, this is a, it's becoming a more inclusive space, you know, the, the fitness industry as a whole, but there's so much friction. I mean, there are so many growing pains and people are trying to find their place. And I, um, you know, I think people like to have a sense of, oh, I'm, you know, I'm in this group, like, these are my beliefs, these are my values, these are my people. But um, when we're not in the two, maybe like main groups, you know, and we're out in the middle, we might feel very alone and separated and um, even a little bit like nervous about saying things because when you are not in, in one of the main groups, that means that you're probably going to be saying things that no one agrees with, <laughs> you know, like everything you say, potentially someone is going to be like, that's harmful. That's harmful what you're doing, you know? Um, so that's, that can be stressful. And we also, obviously like this is our livelihood. 
we need to provide a service that clients want. And even though we may, you know, they might find out down the line, oh, I, what I wanted was not intentional weight loss. I actually didn't, you know, that, that didn't bring me happiness. That wasn't what I wanted. Um, but initially, usually they're coming to a coach, you know, a nutrition coach, because they want to change their body composition. And a large portion of them want to become smaller. So they want to engage intentional weight loss. Um, or they are, you know, maybe ready to, to stop pursuing that. Um, but that feels like a scary place to be also. So yeah, as coaches, it's kind of like, what, you know, what am I doing for people now, now that I'm not doing that other stuff that seemed really clean cut, like, what am I doing now? Um, so I think that's been helpful for our group and for the people that we're mentoring to say, this is a thing. This is actually a thing to be in the middle and to say, we don't have to pick one approach. That's the whole purpose of the intentional eating spectrum is that we educate ourselves on the applications of these different approaches and when they um, you know, might be appropriate and when they're not gonna be super helpful. And if something's outside of our scope, we know when to refer, but we haven't limited ourselves to just one approach that we realize that they have utility in different ways and we give the client uh, the information and the autonomy and agency to choose. So that's what we're getting at. You know, it's, it's maybe not the conventional thing, um, but yeah, having the community where we can talk about that and people can air their, their worries, you know, and their confusion in a safe space, that's really unique because don't think you really get that like on Instagram very much. You know, people are like making posts like on their wall. Like, I, I don't really know what I'm offering clients, but like, I want to help you guys. You know, that's, it's just scary to put that out there. That's the thing. I think most people at this stage recognize that there are other things to consider and that they want to, to help people, but it's like, then how do I do this? <laughs> what, you know, what does this look like in practice? Where does, my, what can I help people with? What can't I help people with? And it can be really confusing. And that's what I've really enjoyed about the community group is just being able to do like those those Q and A's, for example, and touching on these issues and providing some kind of guidance and insight. And it's really nice to hear even what people are concerned about, but also on the other side as well, like how they've noticed the changes with their clients and the, the way that they coach. I think that's just yeah it's been so rewarding so I will link everything that we've talked about I'll put the community group and some of the articles that we've mentioned um, in the show notes but is there anything that you wanted to add to, to wrap up I think I think that's about it I guess I'll give a teaser for our next hopeful project is um you know we've been seeing a lot of people talk about the health risks associated with obesity um, and we see a lot of people talk about the, the health risks associated with intentional weight loss and dieting as well. And when we look at those in terms of just like percentages of a population, we might have um, inaccurate ideas about like individual risk of something happening. And that's really what kind of the two sides are arguing over. You know, one side says, I see health risks associated with obesity. And so we need to help people lose weight. And the other side says, I see health risks associated with intentional weight loss, so we need to stop telling people to lose weight. Um, so I think it would be really helpful to come up with either sort of a risk or uh, a relative risk or odds ratio of, uh, of having obesity or of pursuing intentional weight loss and some of the mediating factors and look at you know, who is actually 
engaging in dieting. So who's actually dieting? How are they potentially benefiting? And how are they potentially being harmed? Because there, we might find that there are, is a population of people who are chronically dieting for whom weight loss does not confer any physical benefit. And so perhaps there's really just a net risk for them. Whereas other individuals who might um, pursue intentional weight loss would be at fairly lower psychological risk and may actually benefit from intentional weight loss. Because of course there's gonna be contents in every case. And hopefully, you know, if we can suss out that information, that might give people um, a more objective view of the data, kind of take the, you know, not take emotion out of it, but take the dogma out of it and say, here are, here, here are some quantified risks. Here's some numbers. You want to crunch some numbers. Take a look at this and see, you know, would you benefit from intentional weight loss? If not, maybe see if there's something else that would, you know, give you purpose. Maybe it's just about improving body image um, or determining if, you know, this is a surrogate for you trying to have control in an area of your life. Um, and hopefully that helps people. You know, that's part of it is just information. I think when we're providing information with the intention to just inform, mm -hmm. just say, here's the information versus with the intention to manipulate say, here's the information, you're supposed to do something about it. Two different things. And I think that, you know, our approach has always been just, here's the information. What do you think? That's exactly it. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to um, potentially listening to this back in a year's time and seeing what we did do <laughs> and what went you know, differently to, to what we expected. Um, so yeah, I'm really excited for the, the year ahead and just to see what we can achieve and what changes you know we'll be making do you have any intentions for the year you know if you could just set yourself an intention do a better job of living by the values that are not associated with my career so i take more time for myself and my loved ones yeah i love that that's awesome i think i'd have a similar one in that i want to just continue to refine my the attention that I give to things and the way in which I attend to certain things and what I'm attending to and yeah thinking about that in relation to my values as well I think it's a really nice guiding principle so um with that I will we can wrap up here and thank you for, for joining me for this episode and as I said I'll link everything in the in the show notes but um where can people find you if they don't know you already they can find me at vitamin phd on instagram and facebook and they can find both of us at btgcomprehensivecoaching.com awesome thanks so much for joining me and yeah let's see what we can do this year absolutely thank you